Welcome to the Provo Pick and Roll Podcast. Joining me today is Brady Hill. How are you doing, Brady? I'm doing good, Jordan. How are things in Iowa? They are a lot nicer than it is uh, down in Texas, where it's been 100 degrees for about two months. I think it is 72 today. Went out to the dog park to hang out with uh, our greyhound, and it's pretty nice. So I'm enjoying it until it gets closer to winter. Yep, I know. I'm just enjoying the warm weather here in Cleveland until the winter hits too. So, all right. So um, we're going to be doing things a little bit different today for those of you who are familiar with um, kind of our structure of the podcast, because we've kind of felt bad for all of the super long episodes that we've coming out with. We've been coming out with, you know, some of them have gone up to two hours. We're going to try to break them up into smaller episodes so that they're more manageable and people can like, listen to them on their car ride to work or something like that. So um, so that's what we're going to try to do from here on out. Um, so yeah, so we're just going to jump right into it. So today we're going to be talking about uh, a preview for the college football season for BYU uh, and all the um, all the things that we have to look forward to for, for that season. So kind of to start out, we just wanted to do a breakdown of who's on the team this year, you know, who are we going to, who are some familiar faces that are coming back, who are some new people to look out for, and kind of what's the overall standing of all the positions for uh, the team this year. So, yeah, do you want to get us started off there, Brady, with um, with that? Well, I don't want to bury the lead, Jordan, before we get into BYU football, is that we have 13 days until we get college <laughs> football. It's been several months <laughs> of waiting and listening to random videos online about about spring football and fall camp and stuff that isn't actually football, but pretty soon we'll actually get to spend all day watching football. And I'm pretty excited about it. But yeah, so to talk about it, we have BYU. And uh, as many of you probably may already know, some of the details have been listening to BYU Sports Nation, been listening to Vanquish the Foe and some other, some other sources, but we wanted to give a little preview of the team uh, what we have coming into the season as far as the depth chart, the roster, our expectations for position groups on which position groups are predicted to be the strengths we expect to be very good, which position groups we need to um, uh, maybe concerns that we need to be aware of that could be weaknesses for this team. And also uh, which position groups maybe are have a lot of depth that can withstand potential injuries that would that could derail the season or vice versa. Um, don't have a lot of depth behind the starters. And that's something that BYU traditionally has had a problem with is that their frontline starters can compete on the level with other power fives. But once you get late in the game and players get tired or players get injured, the second string of teams like Oregon and now teams like Utah and Baylor and teams like that, their, their second string is just so much better than BYU's second string. So we'll look into that and see, uh, do a little preseason analysis for you. First, we'll look at the offense, Jordan, and we have the most important player for BYU is the redshirt COVID junior, uh, Jaron Hall. Jaron Hall is uh, predicted by some NFL draft, NFL draft uh, experts to potentially be a first round pick, uh, maybe a second round pick. If he plays well this year, if he doesn't play well, if he gets injured, he also could be kind of hanging towards the very end of the draft seventh round pick or undrafted based on his age and injury history. So this is a big year for Jaron Hall, but last year he was very impressive, led BYU to a 10 win season, although he did miss a couple of games. Uh, and including the bowl game last year, which BYU lost. And so he is the only quarterback on the team with any real experience. He, we have Jacob Conover as the backup. He's a redshirt freshman. He was a high four-star recruit um, out of high school and has had lots of reps in practice and, and a little bit of game experience last year. So we're hoping that if needed, that he will be able to step into the role as a backup and play well and, and be able to be the team leader next year entering the Big 12. But this year, a lot rides on 
the arm of Jaron Hall. Yeah, for sure. And I think the notable difference for the quarterback room is the exit of Baylor Romney um, because he was the backup that filled that position uh, in those games where Jaron Hall was injured this last year. And he transferred, if I'm not mistaken, right? Do you know where he transferred to? So he did not actually transfer. He uh, just just retired, basically. He's I think he's working for Adobe. Oh, he got really? a job. He got a job in uh, in Silicon Slopes, where they decided they're going to pay him a bunch of money, and so he decided to forego his last year of eligibility and just go oh, out. Oh wow! Move on with life. Wow. Good for him. I didn't realize that. Good for him, but they do. They may miss him. That'll be something interesting to watch with Jaron Hall's injury history to see how yeah. that backup quarterback position is. I mean, hopefully we don't have to worry about that. Hopefully Jaron Hall is able to stay healthy all season. And I think if he does, he can have, you know, a potentially Heisman candidacy um, type season, um, especially with um, the the type of competition that they'll be playing against. If, there is, if he's able to perform on those big stages, because a lot of these games, if, um, BYU keeps winning are going to be primetime games later on in the season, but we'll get to that more when we talk about the, the schedule um, for uh, what BYU has ahead of them this season. So, yeah, also be excited in, in the quarterback arena. Um, and then moving on to kind of the wide receiver core, uh, we're also returning a lot of good talent. Uh, Puka Nakua is still, you know, he's the top receiver last year. He is returning, so he'll be, he'll also be a, um, a major threat for the offense along with Gunnar Romney. So they're returning their two top receivers from a year ago. Um, and then really the main uh, receiver that's leaving, it seems like, is Samson Nakua, uh, Puka's brother. So um, so the receiving core is still looking pretty strong. Yeah, I would say this is one of the better receiving cores uh, as far as the depth, looking at it from a depth perspective that BYU has had in a long time. Um, with Gunnar Romney with lots of experience. And like you said, Pukunakua is a potential mid-round NFL draft pick. Uh, Keanu Hill is still just a, a redshirt sophomore, but he's he's a big athletic guy. He's 6'4", 210, and has shown off some games last year where he played very well and could step into that third wide receiver role. And then they also have some younger guys with Cody Epps and Chase Roberts, especially, who are also... Um, have a lot of potential. They have a lot of upside for BYU. And so this is a pretty deep, relatively experienced wide receiver room. And they work within this play action based wide zone offense where uh, Aaron Roderick does a good job of putting them in positions for one-on-one -on -one positions and, um, and some easy catches as well. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about the wide receiver room. And then, and then really, if you look at this whole offense, uh, one of the reasons I hope, to see Jaron Hall succeed very well is they just have a lot of weapons that come from a lot of different sources. If you look at the tight end room slash kind of tight end slash fullback room with Isaac Rex and Alan Holkler are both potential NFL draft picks, uh, particularly um, Isaac Rex, but Dallin Holker has, has made strides, particularly as a wide receiver. He's a little undersized maybe for an NFL draft pick. He's only about 235, but he has great hands and a great route runner. They're both pretty athletic. And so whenever BYU lines up in a 12 personnel set where they have two wide receivers and two tight ends on the field, that can easily be, they have really four wide receivers, but but at the same time, they have the tight ends are big enough to block to where they can also run it down your throat in the same, the same formation. And the defense has to prepare for both, and that makes them very flexible and very dangerous with those guys on the field. And then you add the fullbacks, Mason Wake, and Houston Halmuli, the transfer from Stanford, um, and they just have a lot of flexibility and 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 creative creative uh, base to work for, for Aaron Roderick and for this offense, especially with Jaron Hall, that can, that can really make it happen. Yeah. I'm really excited to see how they're able to, to use the tight end uh, fullback position this year. Cause I feel like, I mean, going back to 2020, Isaac Rex, I think he was the leader in the country with the most touchdowns caught by a tight end. You know, that was back when Zach Wilson was still playing quarterback at BYU. 
Um, but then, you know, kind of didn't have as big of a year this last year. And I feel like he was maybe a little underutilized uh, in that system. So I'll definitely, um, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing if he becomes, if he's used more, you know, this year. Because I think, like you said, like, they're, they're good, like, offensive weapons to have in kind of more of an unconventional way to, to move the ball down the field. Um, so, yeah. I would like to see from Isaac Rex that first year where he had those 12 touchdowns, he, they did play a lot of schools that were smaller group of five schools. And he is at six, six two forty seven. He's very physical, very big. And they were able to throw a lot of jump balls to where he was, had an obvious physical advantage over who he was playing. And last year they played more power five teams. They were bigger, stronger, faster. And I'm not sure if he adjusted quite as well. And also kind of what you were saying with, I think the offense um, took kind of took what the defense gave them. They went more to the wide receivers, leaned more heavily on Tyler Algier. And so I, I agree. I would like to see them focus more on, on Rex, get him more involved, but also I would like to see him personally maybe improve, be a little more physical um, in running his routes and, uh, and in those contested catches to where it's not just a, I'm seven inches taller than you. If you throw it high enough, I'll catch it. But he needs to put himself in a position to um, be able to fight for those, finish through those catches a little better. So that'll be interesting to see. But they have a lot of potential there and proven talent there. And we haven't even gotten to the most impressive part of this BYU team, and that is their offensive line. Um, Blake Freeland is projected to be their starting left tackle. Uh the June, he, he is also projected as a potential first round pick. This might be the first time in it might maybe ever. I don't know if BYU's ever had two first round picks, but if Jaron Hall balls out and Blake Freeland plays well, um, they could both potentially be first round picks. Um, Clark Barrington is a preseason All American at left guard. Connor Pay and Joe Tukuafu are ex- experienced, um, experienced. Uh, on the team, Campbell Barrington at right guard. Um, he's had a lot of experience last year. He's only a true sophomore, so he's he's young, but he's very talented. He's the younger brother of Clark Barrington, um, but he's talented. He's 6'6", 300 pounds. All of these guys are 300 plus pounds, pretty much. They have size. They're very physical, very tall, long arms. Um, and then you have Harris Lachance. He's 6'8", 315 on the right side, and he's competing with Kingsley Suamataia. He's 6'6", 330, the redshirt freshman, five-star transfer from Oregon, who from reports from camp is every bit of looks like a five-star when he's walking around. Like, he is very physically impressive at right tackle. And so they have depth, experience. They have probably seven or eight guys, maybe more than that, that I would be comfortable if they were starting uh, on the offensive line. Yeah, and, and we can we know how much of a difference that makes because um, if you don't have a good offensive line, your quarterbacks can be scrambling around, forced into forced into possibly making some bad decisions, and then your running backs are just not going to have enough room to to work their um, work their uh, magic in the running game. So, uh, yeah, lots to look forward to there. Um, kind of transitioning into that, since we have such a good offensive line, uh, we should be able to run the ball quite a bit. Um, this year Um, but you know the the major loss that we had from our offense from last season was the loss of Tyler Algier who was amazing Um, so who's going to be stepping into that running back position and filling that void where Tyler Algier left off so the uh, number one running back on the depth chart right now is the uh, senior grad transfer from Cal Berkeley uh, Christopher Brooks Chris Brooks he is a similar to Tyler Algier. He's a very big running back. He's 6'1", 235. And if you look at his film, he's very physical. Um, and he's a, very much like a downhill runner, but he doesn't have a lot of top end speed. So I wouldn't be anticipating him breaking the kind of 60 to 70 yard runs towards the end zone that we saw Tyler Algier making last year. But he's a solid back that will keep the offense on schedule. He'll be able to bust 10 to 20 yard runs, especially behind this big offensive line. He'll be able to break through track tackles. And, and uh, I'm hoping someone who's always going to be falling forward, he's not going to be um, an issue 
not causing problems for the offense, putting them behind the behind the chains. And then a lot of your other running backs are in within the depth chart, a little more versatile and have a little more um, big playability, maybe, but maybe not quite as much experience or consistency as Chris Books. We still have Lopina Katoa, uh, it's a red shirt, six year COVID senior, um, but has good hands out of the backfield um, and is kind of oh, good at everything. He's not great at anything, but he's a solid running back pretty good wide receiver, good in the screen game, had a few key fumbles last year that were problematic. We hopefully that will, hopefully he's been working on that. Um, we'll have that taken care of. And then they have some younger guys that we've seen here and there in Jackson McChesney, Miles Davis, who um, are maybe a little faster, a little more athletic, a little more dynamic with the ball in their hands, but not as, not quite as experienced. Don't know the offense quite as well as, as the more experienced Brooks and Katoa. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm most excited to see um, if Jackson McChesney gets a few reps um, this year, because in his freshman season, he had a game where he rushed for 225 yards. I was against, uh, I think it was against UMass, I believe. I was trying to look up the stats for that. So he, He's kind of the running back that on the opposite end of what you were saying about how Christopher Brooks is kind of more of a steady back getting um, a few yards of carry and just kind of being more dependable. He's got more of that breakthrough speed that he could uh, make those big plays, you know, 60, 70 yard touchdown runs. So, um, and when you have such a good offensive line, should be able to, to utilize that a little bit more. So. Uh, and I think it'd be uh, great for them if they can utilize him in the passing game too. You know, get him some touches out on the on the flat in space. You can make a few guys miss and pick up some yards that way. So that'll be interesting to, to interesting to see. But yeah, right now he's kind of listed more as a, like a third string uh, running back in that position chart right now. So, do you have um, looking at the offense? I'm very high on the offense. I think they're mm-hmm. deep. I think they're talented. I think they're experienced at every level. Um, is there any particular position group that worries you or um, that you're most concerned about or interested to see how they perform, have the most questions about going into week one? Yeah, I think the biggest thing would just be the running backs um, because I would be very disappointed if I am just seeing a Lopini Kotoa just carry it for three or three yards of carry each time we, we run a running play, you know? Um, which kind of seems to be the standard for him. Uh, and I don't know how much, how different that would be with Christopher Brooks. But um, I mean, from a frame perspective, it's always fun to see those exciting big plays that kind of really electrify your offense and get you going um, and, you know, kind of prevent you from stalling out. So uh, I think that's probably the area uh, of biggest concern, but still not that big of a concern because I think the rest of the offense is looking pretty good. Uh, what are yeah. your thoughts? Well, I think their wide zone scheme with that ta- that much talent on the offensive line, this might, this might be the best BYU offensive line ever, potentially. Um, I think that will obviously help the running backs a lot. They're going to have holes to hit, and they're not going to be forcing to uh, break tackles behind the line of scrimmage very often. I agree that I have, not, I have question marks as far as who is going to be a a true playmaker at running back because Tyler Algier ran for over 1600 yards last year. He was like, wait, I don't want to undersell how important he was to the offense. Um, and losing him is a big loss, even though they didn't lose a whole lot else. He, he, in, in, in and of himself was a big loss. They do have four guys that I feel relatively comfortable. If any of them in the, are in the game, I don't feel like any of them are trash. If that makes sense. Like, I think they're all solid, good options. I just don't know. I'm interested to see how they perform in games. I'm interested to see how good Christopher Brooks is because I, like I said before, I think he's a consistent player, but I don't know if he's a game breaker. Um, but he also played at Cal and Cal's not any good. So maybe if he had <laughs> some better teammates around him, he'll look better. And he is a big physical guy. He's, he's a good team leader. And like, and uh, has has had lots of Pac-12, Power Five experience. So, 
yeah, I'm excited about this offense and the potential, the potential for this team. So yeah, the offense is looking good. So the question then becomes, can the defense, can the defense step up as well? So, um, so yeah, what, how's the defense looking this year? Because last year the defense was kind of struggling, yeah. looked, uh, pretty bad. But a lot of that was due to injuries that happened, especially a lot of them that happened towards the beginning of the season. So it really made it hard for the defense to build chemistry and to figure out what they're what they were doing. Um, but yeah, what are your feelings going into this year regarding the defense? So the defense last year, I think the main thing is what you hit on is that they they became very injured. And that was one of the that was one of the uh, main reasons for their lack of success last year is I think their linebacking core and their best overall player in Keenan Peely was out most of the year. They lost their starting cornerback the very first game against Arizona. Uh, Peyton Wilgar was hurt a lot of the year. And so I think a lot of those key players, Chaz Ayu was out in and out of the lineup. Like a lot of their key players were injured for a lot of the year, especially towards the end of the year when they were playing USC and, uh, and UAB. Like half the field was walk-ons. Um, so I think the main... I think you'll see a dramatic increase just if they can stay healthy, just to stay on the field. Because if you look at their their linebacker positions, you have Chaz Ayu, Keenan Peely, Peyton Wilgar, and then some backups with playing experience like Max Tooley, um, Ben Bywater, Jackson Kafusi. They have several guys, but the, their top end linebackers, their starters, are actually good. They're top, they're top power five level good. And then they have backups who have experience and who are you know, serviceable players. And then the secondary, they also have a bunch of guys with a good amount of experience with Caleb Hayes as a redshirt senior transfer from Oregon state. They just got uh, Gabe Julie Lally from Vanderbilt who has looked good in practice. They still have D'Angelo Mandel as a senior, Malik Moore is a senior. Um, and they have some young, they also have some young guys in the secondary. They have, they have some talent in the back end. And they ha definitely have some talent at the linebacking core. Those guys just need to stay on the field. Um, but the main question mark I have and the main problem I have with the team is the defensive line, which uh, thoroughly underperformed last year. Um, we're not able to get very much pressure on the quarterbacks at all. And they weren't also weren't that great in the run because they were undersized. They don't, they don't have that many, they don't have a, 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 Kyrus Tonga on this team that is just a big block eating defensive nose tackle that just makes it life easier for everyone else. And they, they, they sorely missed that. They missed uh, Lorenzo Fautea last year who um, kind of attempts to play that role. Um, so we have some talent, but I definitely have some question marks, particularly on the defense. Cause last year, this defense, their main problem, they actually didn't give up a ton of points, particularly early in the season. They held Arizona to like 19 or 13 or something, Utah to like 20, maybe less than that. Uh, might have been less than 20 points. But on third downs, they just couldn't get off the field. They were one of the worst teams in the country on third downs, short red, red zone defense. Like when they had to buckle down and get a stop, they just couldn't do it. And I think a lot of that comes down to their defensive line just not ever winning their one-on-one -on -one battles. So that's my biggest question mark for the defense heading in. What are your thoughts after watching them last year and kind of looking at the roster and seeing who they have coming back? Um, do you think this defense can be good enough this year in which position groups can be good enough to help BYU reach their goals? I think the key thing is if they can stay healthy, I think, yes, they can. I think they're going to be uh, a reliable defense. They're not going to be, one of the top ones in the country, but I think they'll be good enough to where with the outstanding offense that we have, uh, that BYU has this year, it's going to be good enough to, to keep them in, in the tough games. And then also keep them ahead of the curve in those games that they, they should win. Um, I think I, I feel like a big kind of going along with what you said about um, being very poor on those third down uh, plays. I think a big thing that they struggled with is, because they weren't getting pressure on the quarterback, the quarterback was able to just scramble around and either find someone down the field or just 
pick up the first down on the ground. Yeah. So um, that has me concerned, especially with, I mean, we'll go into this more with our schedule preview, but we're, fa- we're facing some quarterbacks that are in a very talented in that arena. Uh, Katie Jefferson is the main one that comes to mind from Arkansas. Yeah. who He could really cause some havoc if you don't put pressure on him. If you give him all day and he's allowed to just kind of create and do whatever, um, that's a recipe for disaster. So yeah. that is the main concern that I have, but I'm hoping that uh, number one, the defensive line can get some pressure. And then number two, as far as the defensive play calling goes, I mean, this is a, a dead horse that we've beaten many times, but we always talk about how BYU tends to go into that prevent defense sometimes and kind of just zones up. And that leads to those um, plays where uh, quarterbacks are kind of able to just pick apart the defense because they just don't get any pressure. So, yeah, yeah lots of question marks on the def- defensive side of the ball for sure. Yeah, I've, I'm hoping, like the defensive line was undersized last year and not very deep, but a lot of these guys came back, so they have a lot of the same guys, which is a double-edged sword, right? Like, great, you bring everyone back, but did anyone you bring back, were they any good? Because it, it doesn't matter if you have experience <laughs> if you're not good. Um, so we'll see how these guys develop. They do get Lorenzo Fautea back, like I mentioned. He's a redshirt senior. He was injured most of last year. So that'll be a help in the depth for the defensive tackles. And then they do have Caden Hawes, Richard sophomore. He's 6'2", 320 at that nose tackle position. So he's he's at least another big body. He's easily the biggest defensive lineman um, on on the roster. And then Gabe Summers, Fautea in the middle. And then I'm, I just don't have any faith in the ends. Like Tyler Batty is probably the best defensive end that they have right now, but he just doesn't have the flexibility or speed off the edge. He's, he's kind of a run at 275. He's, he's a big body. He's strong. He'll overpower small. Like he'll look good against the, the group of five teams, I'm sure, because he is a big, strong end. But he just doesn't have quite the, the movement flexibility that a lot of your big-time ends. Like if you're looking at the NFL-type Will Anderson – Dallas Turner ends. Those guys are very, very agile and athletic on top of also being 270. And I just don't think BYU has anyone like that on the roster um, except for um, maybe Isaiah Moa, who's a true freshman and not expecting much from him. So, so yeah, it sounds like if, um, if the goal is to get pressure on the quarterback, you're going to have to bring in some of those linebackers to yeah. provide that in the rushing game to, to yeah. really put some pressure on them. Um, so we'll see if um, that's the plan for uh, the defense going into the season. Cause I think, I think that was, that'd probably be the way to go, but that remains to be seen. Yeah. Um, okay. Awesome. Well, yeah, I think that kind of summarizes the position breakdown pretty well. So we just kind of wanted to go into a preview for the season, talking about what the schedule is looking like and kind of what we can, what is the ceiling for this team? And then also what can we expect from them? So yeah, just looking at the schedule going down the line, this is a tough schedule. We were talking about this, probably the toughest schedule that BYU has had in recent history. Um, They start off um, with USF in Tampa on September 3rd, and then heading back home to Provo to play Baylor and then after that, going to Eugene, Oregon. So that's kind of a that's kind of a, a rough game just to start out, you know, those first three games. So, and then later on down the line, playing Notre Dame at a neutral site, got Arkansas in Provo, playing Liberty in Lynchburg, which I think will be a tough game as well, even though, you know, Liberty is not at a, like a big power five team. And then Boise State at Boise. So, yeah. I don't know. What are your thoughts on all of those games? What what are going to be the the toughest games to win? And then what games are kind of games that we uh, should expect to win? Yeah, I think the three toughest games on the schedule are, fortunately for BYU, they are all either at home or I guess Notre Dame is technically a neutral site. I don't even know if it is technically. It's Notre Dame has like 80% of the ticket sales for that game. So even though it's at a neutral site in Las Vegas, most of the stadium will be Notre Dame fans. And that's not because BYU fans didn't want to buy tickets. It's because of the um, 
ridiculous system that Notre Dame basically has where they play a they get to say they didn't play a home game in the Shamrock series, even though they do basically play a home game because they have control over the ticket sales. Um, anyways, but that one's technically a neutral site game. And then Baylor and Arkansas, I think, are the two other best teams on the schedule, and they get both of them in Provo. Um, Oregon will be an interesting game. I'm not high on Oregon. Um, based on they have Knicks coming in from Auburn, who wasn't great at at Auburn, they lost their their running back die to USC. They lost um, Thibodeau uh, to the NFL draft last year. Their their star defensive end. They've they've kind of lost a lot. Their their head coach went to Miami. They're in a kind of a re- rebuilding stage. Even though it will be at Oregon, I think early in the season, BYU has a pretty good chance of coming away with a win in that one. I feel I feel okay about that um but even some of the other games that you mentioned that like i don't think east carolina and liberty those teams aren't going to be very good liberty just lost malik willis in east carolina is not a particularly good program but they are in virginia oh i guess east carolina is in provo that's good but Mm -hmm. traveling to virginia and traveling to usf BYU doesn't traditionally do very well on the east coast um, so those are definitely games they should win. They're way more talented than USF and Liberty, but they're they're harder games than than uh, than usual. So yeah, this is a tough schedule. Yeah, because I would say looking down the line on the schedule, the only real cupcake they have is Utah Tech. Well, yeah. I've never heard of before. Have you ever heard of Utah Tech? That's uh, I think that's Dixie State. Is that Dixie State? They changed their name. Yeah, because people were that. people felt oh, Dixie was a problem, uh, even though it's not the South, so it's not. But we won't have that discussion. That's not even yeah, what that word means. But that's let's not do that. Um, but yeah, see, that's the thing though is um, a lot of times BYU has this tradition of beating like more of the top tier teams that people don't necessarily expect them to beat, but then they end up losing to some of these lower level teams that just kind of ruin their uh, reputation at the end of the season, you know, as far as getting into some of those bigger bowls. So Utah state, I don't think they're going to be as good this year, but they're also, I mean, that's always a a question mark. The game will be in Provo. So that'll help out though. Yeah, Utah, um, Utah State won 11 games last year, I think. They won the Mountain West, and they're bringing their quarterback yeah. back. So it's at home, and yeah. BYU should win, but that's not like a – it's not a give-me. Utah State's not bad. And then you got Stanford at the end of the season as well, which they probably won't be as good. They're probably going to be akin to Oregon, you know, uh, yeah. kind of middle of the, middle of the pack, Pac-12 team. Um, but I mean, yeah, I could give you some issues too. So yeah, I think it'd be interesting. Um, so what, what games do you think out of all of these teams, like are games that BYU cannot afford to lose? So we're going worst case scenario. I'm going to say like worst case scenario. These are the games that BYU has no excuse losing to, even if they are like kind of, we've discussed, they may be a little more tough than you know, playing Utah Tech, but they still have no excuse to lose to these teams. I would say the list for me right now is South Florida, Wyoming, Utah State, Liberty, East Carolina, Utah Tech. So that is that six, six games. Mm-hmm. So worst case scenario, if BYU loses to all of the good teams on their schedule, um, they should win six games. This is at the very worst is a six and six football team. Do you uh, have any different thoughts than that? No, I think I'd agree with that. Um, And then I would say like, like they would either beat Stanford or Oregon kind of on top of that. Like they, okay. They shouldn't, they shouldn't lose to both of those teams. Yeah. So, or you could put Boise state in that category too, between those three teams, they got to win one of those. Yeah. That's like, yeah. Worst case. So, so we're thinking worst case, really, realistically, 
is seven and five, right? Yeah. Um, now, is that still seven and five if a couple of major things happen? So let's say Jaron Hall gets hurt week one out for the season, tears his ACL or something. Hopefully, you know, I don't want to speak that into existence, but that could happen. And we're immediately into our thank you for knocking on your desk there. Is it wood? Is it a wood desk? It is a wood desk. Okay, we're good. good job. We're prepared. Um, <laughs> so let's say that happens. Let's say the defense suffers injuries in the same way they did last year. We lose Peyton Wilgar. We lose Keenan Peely. We lose, um, I don't know, Ammon Hanneman or something like that. And we're struggling from a health perspective. Um, would you still say seven and five would be a reasonable low end expectation? Yeah, I think I would say so. Because even with the loss of all those, like uh, on the offensive end, Jacob Conover should be able to step up if, um, um, you know, if that happens, if we have that injuries like that. Um, and yeah, like I said, uh, I think those teams, all the teams that we listed, they should be kind of regardless because they're deep enough that I should, they should even be able to beat those teams with kind of some of the, the second string people um, kind of manning it. So yeah, I don't know. Would you guys say anything different? No, I think that's fine. I, I agree. I think they have enough depth, uh, particularly at key positions like corner, like quarterback, um, to where they can and and enough talent are surrounding the quarterback with the offensive line, the running backs uh, we talked about, the wide receivers and tight ends. That even if we have a few key injuries, I think this team should definitely have a winning record, regardless, and should mm -hmm. be able to make a bowl game. Um, and then. The other question is, what is the ceiling? Is this a team that uh, has, like, is there anyone on the schedule that you look at and say, that's an L? Because when I when we talk about Texas in our, in our future episode, um, I look at the Texas schedule and I see, okay, Alabama is just an L. Like, we're not winning. I can just go into the season an expectation of at least one loss. Best case scenario, we have one loss. Is there anyone on BYU schedule that you look at and you're just like, well, they're not going to win? Like, it would be a massive upset. I mean, the biggest one for me is Notre Dame. Um, but I am honestly not sure where Notre Dame is at right now. Um, I know they finished, like, top 10 at the end of the season last year. Um, but, yeah, I think that's probably the trickiest one. I don't know. What are your thoughts? I mean, I'm kind of in the same way. Like, Notre Dame lost – I believe at home to Cincinnati last year and Cincinnati was a very good football team. They lost to Oklahoma state in the Fiesta bowl or whichever bowl they played in. Um, so they're a team that's very good. They lost their star safety. Hamilton went to the draft. They lost their quarterback. I don't actually know who their quarterback's going to be this year for Notre Dame. That's a big question mark for their program. They're going to have a good offensive line. They're going to have solid linebacker. Like they're going to be very good. They're going to be one of the most top to bottom talented teams that BYU plays but I don't know if this is a guaranteed situation where Notre Dame is better than BYU so I think that's definitely a winnable game I'm actually I would be if you if you had to tell me BYU wins one game between Baylor Notre Dame and Arkansas preseason I might bet you Notre Dame would be the most likely game that they win. Um, oh. I mean, maybe Baylor, because I'm sure that they're game planning for South Florida and they're getting ready for South Florida, but Baylor, yeah, I don't know. It's tough. All those three teams I put in the same category, Baylor, Arkansas, Notre Dame, that they're mm -hmm. all very good. Arkansas could be very, very good, um, but they do have to go to Utah in the altitude, and that's not something SEC teams hardly ever do. They almost never go west, and they almost never go in the mountains west. So that is a distinct – that's probably the biggest home field advantage that BYU has is against Arkansas just because of the fact that it's Arkansas uh, geographically. So, but yeah, that, that's a very long answer to say, no, I don't see anyone on the schedule that I don't think BYU can beat if healthy. Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree with that. Um, I mean, I feel like really after week one, that will be the biggest barometer to know where Notre Dame is at. We're playing Ohio State in the horseshoe. For sure. So, 
we'll, we'll be able to know kind of what to expect going into that game at the beginning of October. Um, but, um, but yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, kind of Baylor worries me because Baylor kind of manhandled BYU last season. Mm-hmm. Um, and mainly and bring, it was just like. And they bring or, back their entire defensive and offensive line at Baylor. Everyone's yeah, back. Yeah. So that's scary. And I remember, yeah, their running backs just ran all over us last year. So, um, yeah, so hopefully hopefully that's not a repeat. Um, but that makes me scared, especially since it's so early on in the season. You know, that's only week two. So haven't had a lot of this season to really get things figured out on both sides of the ball, especially probably the defensive side. Um, so, I yeah. Uh, yeah, and thinking about it now, I think maybe Baylor is the game that worries me the most. Even though it's yep. in Provo, you know, should have the home field advantage. But I think, yeah, having having Jeff Grimes on the other side of the ball where he's so familiar with the uh, the system at BYU is also mm-hmm. another factor that makes that game even more uh, scary. Yeah, for sure. Familiar with the system and the personnel. He coached a yeah. lot of these same players. Uh, when they were, he was here at BYU. Um, yeah, so I guess with that said, what is the best case scenario? What do you think is the top end? If everything goes right, what can BYU accomplish for the season? What should be their their somewhat realistic goal? I mean, yeah, I feel like a realistic goal would be to uh, get into a New Year's Six bowl game. Um, I think with their schedule, this, with the strength of the schedule that they have, they end up being Definitely, if they're a one-win, a one-loss team at the end of the season, um, I think that they have a very realistic shot of getting one of those um, at-large bids. Uh, and then potentially, even if they're a two-loss team at the end of the season, if two of those losses are, are to like, um, you know, Notre Dame, who's probably going to be a top-ten team at the end of the season, and uh, say an Arkansas, if Arkansas performs well in the SEC, um, I could see them also making it in as a two-loss team into the New Year's Six Bowl game. So. Um, so I think that's got to be uh, the the standard to look at. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think BYU has a great chance to make a New Year's Six game. One thing that helps them on their schedule, like their schedule is tough, and it and it will provide them the validation to potentially make it, especially if they have one loss, like you said, but maybe even if they have two. But the other side is they also have a chance to have head-to-head wins over other teams that would be likely competing for the same kind of spots. So you have Baylor, who's going to be competing for a Big 12 championship, potentially. And so if they come second in the Big 12, they're going to be an at-large seeking, if they play well and they end up being good again, seeking a spot that BYU is competing with. Oregon in the Pac-12, if they end up being good and lose the Pac-12 championship, they're going to be an at-large. And Notre Dame is always the independent at-large who is trying to force their way in. Um, so those three games um, are all helping their resume for the New York Six um, competition uh, by obviously increasing their number of wins, but also directly in direct competition to other teams who are looking for the same spot. Yeah, because at the end of the day, if it's like between Oregon, BYU, if BYU beat Oregon early on in the season, you know, that's, that's the easy, uh, easy decision to make, you know, who right. you're putting in. Well, it should be. Should, it should be, be, but it's not yeah. always the case. And so, you know, this is probably a bit of a stretch, but I mean, do you think if BYU goes undefeated this year, would, I mean, with their, the strength of schedule that they have, would they have an argument to, I mean, I mean, always if you're undefeated, you have an argument to make it into the college football playoff. But do you think realistically with what we've seen in the history with the college football playoff committee, do you think that they could they would make it in? So, I mean, this is the time to have these fun discussions, right? Because we yeah, don't any, just to be clear, to be clear, none of us are thinking that's going to happen. Probably. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Like this on our prediction. But but if they run the table. I would say it would be a disgrace if they were not in the college football playoffs based upon the schedule. Um, Unless the only thing that would keep them out is if there were four other 
undefeated Power Five champions. Then, or maybe, maybe if there were three and the other one was Alabama, then mm, they still yeah. might not make it. So there still are circumstances where they couldn't, they could not make it. But none of those circumstances have happened. Like if any year plays out in any pre, like any previous year, as far as the number of undefeated teams, and there's an at-large spot available, or maybe preferably two at-large spots, um, they should make it with wins over at Oregon, Baylor at home, Notre Dame, Arkansas at home, Boise State, Stanford. Like this is a very strong schedule that BYU has, and a few of a couple of the games are going to be potentially in prime time. You have Notre Dame on NBC at 5.30 Mountain Time, 6.30 Central. That's a primetime game. Um, and you have Baylor, the only – September 10th, the only two games. There's three games, I guess, that are worth anything at all. It's Texas-Alabama, which will be the obviously the number one popular game. Then it's BYU-Baylor is the second best game of the whole week. And then third, you have Iowa-Iowa State, which – isn't actually a game that will mean very much other than it's a rivalry and it's a fun game people will watch. But the second best game of the second weekend is Baylor-BYU. So those are two weeks. And then you have other games with Oregon and Arkansas that are going people are going to have their eyes on. Boise State will probably be late in the evening. That'll be a late night game. Stanford might be the same way. They're going to have a lot of eyes on BYU, particularly if they're good. And if they're undefeated, they're going to have a lot of people on them and they also have the tradition of the of their entire football program but particularly the last two years of winning 11 games and winning 10 games to look at BYU and they're going to the power power five next year to not think BYU is a fluke right that this is just a one-off UCF type situation in 2017 they have a lot on the resume a potential if, if they were to go undefeated Jaron Hall probably is going to be a first round NFL draft pick quarterback who could be the star could be in the Heisman contention they have a lot of pieces that if it all were to come together they would definitely compete in my opinion but I don't that's going to take a lot and I don't think that will happen but if it did I think if all the stars align you know right. so if it did they would have the opportunity to lose to Alabama in uh in the first college football game that's what that would be their uh their gift this year yep That'd be really cool. And the SEC Invitational. <laughs> yep. yep. Um, yeah, I, I feel like the same way. I I mean, realistically, we kind of know that that's it's probably not going to happen that they can go sweep the table and go undefeated. But, you know, stranger things have happened. And this could be the year that, you know, BYU breaks through um, and makes it to that. That would be awesome. I would I would love that even if we do end up getting creamed by Alabama in the first uh, semifinal game of the college football playoff. It'd be worth it. So last okay. last two questions, Jordan. Um, one is um, what is the record at which you would be satisfied with the team? In other words, if they if they won this many games, you would consider it in a successful season. I would say nine wins. Nine wins. Um, yeah. Anything less would be a disappointment. I think so. Yeah. What would you say? I think so too. That's where I would yeah. I would have nine wins as my barometer of having a successful season. And it a lot of that does depend, right? Like depends on how they played, how close were the games, who did they actually beat. But just well, general, and it depends on how good those teams were that they lost to. Because if those, right. if those three losses are to like Notre Dame, Arkansas, and then you know one of those other ones like Baylor, Boise State, something like that, um, then I'd feel pretty good about the season, you know. But yeah, you know, if one of those losses is to East Carolina or Utah, I mean, we're not even going to say Utah Tech, but Wyoming. Wyoming, Wyoming could be one. I'll be, I'll be disappointed with that too. So. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And then the last, the last question, Jordan, is what is your 2022 record prediction on the record for BYU football? Um, are we going just regular season? Or are we including like 
postseason as well. Let's go just regular season, just 12 just games. Regular season. Yeah. So I'm going to go nine and three. I, I, so that's what I think that it's like the barometer. And that's also kind of what I'm picking for them to do too. Okay. So who are your, uh, who are your two losses? Who do you got? Who do you think they're going to fall to? Um, I mean, if I had to pick, I'd probably say either Baylor or Arkansas. It's going to be one of those games, Notre Dame, and then probably drop one to Boise State or Stanford or Oregon. <laughs> one of those games where they should not lose. You just named like everyone on the schedule. You said they might lose to someone on their schedule. That's what you just said. Yeah, <laughs> basically. It's not a good answer. But all right, so Notre Dame, Arkansas, Baylor. That's who I'll pick. Okay, for your three losses. Okay. Yeah. So you're going chalk pretty much. Basically. Chalk. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I think I have uh, nine and three is a sensible answer. That's the answer that um, is probably the most likely. But I think they're going to go 10 and two. I think they're going to beat Notre Dame. Oh, I don't, it's hard to pick. I don't even know exactly which team they'll lose to because I think Arkansas is the best team they'll play all year. But because it's in Provo, I think that is a big difference for the SEC. I think that is a legitimate home field advantage for BYU. Um, but I, I think they're going to lose to Arkansas. That's my pick. I think they're going to lose to Arkansas. And I think they're going to beat Notre Dame. I think they lose to Baylor in Arkansas. Those are... That's who I got for the season. Boise State's a sneaky game too, but this is going to be a very good season. I got another 10-win season for BYU. And uh, on the cusp for a New Year's Eve game, depends on how the rest of it plays out uh, outside of the Cougars' control. Okay. All right, great. Well, Yep, really looking forward to this season. Hopefully, it all pans out. I hope I'm wrong about the nine and three, and we end up being ten and two or eleven and one. But I feel like you know, if you always set your expectations lower, then you'll be you'll be happy um, with the with the result. And if they perform even lower than my low expectations, I guess I'll be really depressed. Um, but let's let's not even think about that. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us on this uh, this episode of the Provo Pick and Roll Podcast. Um, hope you keep listening and uh, tune in next time. Whoosh, Kevin. Go Cougs.